Welcome to the sermon podcast from Free School Court Church in Bridgend. This podcast features sermons from the Bible, which are recorded at our Sunday services each week. To find out more, please visit our website, freeschoolcourt.org.uk, or find us on social media. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to uh, the passage that we read earlier. Um, and we're going to be looking at the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. So um, just in case you haven't been following the series so far, we've been looking in this series, uh, Let the Earth Be Glad, uh, at how God is intending to bring his message of salvation to the ends of the earth. Uh, and in the book of Acts, we see uh, the development of that from the time when the Lord Jesus said that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And here we have a particular hinge point or development in the story. Uh, and the, 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 wor- the work of the gospel is pushed forward to another stage. So we've been looking at this um, church, this wonderful church in Antioch towards the end of chapter 11. Uh, and this is really... Um, we, we, we hear about them again in the book of Acts, but not much. Uh, and here we have uh, where the, the story takes off uh, and, and Barnabas and Saul are sent out uh, on a ministry which the church is, uh, has discerned that, that they are called to. So the time, you, the time is thought to be around AD 46. It's probably around 16 years then after the Lord Jesus went back to heaven and the day of Pentecost came and the people of God were filled with the Holy Spirit uh, and, and started speaking the gospel to those around them. Uh, and this is a critical point in the story. You remember that so far, uh, apart from ones and twos going out, you've got Philip going out and seeing the Ethiopian eunuch, you've got Peter and John going to Samaria, um, you've got also uh, others Peter goes to meet Cornelius you've got these little forays if you like into uncharted territory or or, or territory in which the gospel has not yet really made an impact but here we have a a, a change in in the whole way that the church goes about seeking to spread the gospel so far there's been no concerted effort by the church to go and reach the unreached it's been haphazard that's not a bad thing. God's people are expected and called upon to witness to the Lord Jesus Christ to the people they meet on their, in their daily life. That's what we saw earlier in chapter 11 as the people were scattered and found themselves in Antioch and began to witness to the people that they met there. But here we have something different. Uh, and we have uh, this uh, a change then uh, in the way that the Holy Spirit is operating in the church. There have been times, and Pentecost, the day of Pentecost, has been a special time as well, when the Holy Spirit has done something uh, extra, something special. It's been a gospel super spreader event as many people have come to faith in Christ at one time. But here we have this church in Antioch, and they are worshipping and praying together. And we're going to see three things then about this church 
and about how this, the, uh, their actions here in this passage lead them to take the gospel in a new and concerted way. So the first thing we want, want us to learn from this from these few, few verses, is that it's, in, it's an ordered church, an ordered church. This church now has come to maturity. These are not new believers. They've been believers. Many of them have been believers for some years now. Barnabas and Saul have been teaching them, preaching to them, building them up in their faith, and others have come too, like Agabus and the other prophets down from Jerusalem, to teach the people and to speak to them about the Lord. And these people are being built up in their faith. But we also see that in the church there in verse 1, there were prophets and teachers. And this tells us something about the church there. It tells us that God has given them gifted people. The Holy Spirit has poured his life into these believers and given some of them gifts so that they can be prophets and teachers. We're not told that prophets and teachers were two different groups of people. Perhaps they were. But perhaps they were just two elements or two different facets to the way that the leaders in the church were exercising their ministry. And we're told that there are five of them there. Uh, here they are. Barnabas, we've met him already, haven't we? In chapter 11, he's called a good man. The only person, I think, in the book of Acts who's called a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And we know his name means son of encouragement. It's his nickname. His real name is Joseph, we find earlier in the book. So there's Barnabas. There's also Simeon. That's another Jewish name. And he's nicknamed Niger. Now that could mean that he had dark complexion. That he was, uh, you know, he, 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 he had dark skin. That wasn't in any way uh, any kind of... Um, term uh, uh, to put him down or anything. It was just a, a, a thing that he was nicknamed Niger. So there was Simeon and there was Lucius of Cyrene. Perhaps he was one of the original witnesses. If you have a look back at chapter 11 verse 20, some of the people who arrived in Antioch were from Cyprus and Cyrene. That's a town then, a city on the north coast of Africa. Uh, and so that's where he came from. And perhaps he was one of those original witnesses who started sharing their faith with the Gentiles. Then you have Manaean. And we read about Manaean that he'd been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. So maybe he himself was of royal blood or some kind of aristocracy. We don't really know, but uh, it suggests that he may have been. And then we find out that the fifth person is Saul, who of course calls himself a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Luke here is using Saul's Jewish name. He's also called Paul. We read that in verse 9. Uh, and later on in the, in the book of Acts, it seems that uh, his name is, is usually referred to as Paul. Clearly then, he's, he's using the name Saul when he's among his Jewish Hebrew-speaking friends, that community. And when he's in the Gentile community, he's using his Greek name, Paul. It's a diverse group of men, these prophets and teachers, and they were leading the church. They were exercising their gifts and instructing and exhorting and encouraging the people. Writing to the church later that he had established in Corinth, Paul says, let everything, everything, everything should be done in a fitting 
and orderly way. And that's what was happening here in this church in Antioch. They were ordered. They had structure. There were people appointed and recognized to exercise public ministry among them. Now, the Holy Spirit gives gifts to everyone, doesn't he, for the building up of the church as a whole. But also, the Holy Spirit gives the church people who are tasked with that public ministry of building the people up through the teaching of God's word. That's the point Paul makes in his letter to the Ephesians. Um, I read a little bit of Ephesians earlier today. But in chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's not the task then of elders, pastors or whoever to do all the work of the church. The, the task of the pastors and the elders and the teachers is to build people up so that everybody can do the work of the church. And here we have five people who had been appointed to that task. Now some people say, really the church is any group of people, of believers who happen to be meeting together. Um, for some reason, when I read this, it seems bus stops always seem to appear in the discussion. So you're standing at the bus stop waiting for a bus and your friend from another church turns up and you have a good chat and you share prayer requests and that's fellowship. And it's true, isn't it? Sometimes even just a few minutes, it can be such an encouragement to meet another believer and have fellowship to each, with each other. But is that the church? I don't think so. The church, the local church, as it's been given to us uh, in the New Testament, has some kind of order, some kind of structure. There is responsibility and there is discipline within the body of God's people. So let's thank God for the, uh, for the gifts that he gives to each one of us. And if you don't know what your gifts are, or if you're not sure, or if, you're, if you feel that uh, maybe you don't have gifts... Then ask somebody, ask somebody you know, what, what do you think my gifts might be? Or if you're not sure where you can serve in the church, then come and ask one of us uh, in leadership. Then we can maybe help and find out what your, your gifts may be and where you might be able to serve. The Lord has given these people in Acts, these, this body of believers there, this church in, in, in Antioch rather, um, a group of people who are appointed and recognized and gifted to minister the word of God to these people. So it's an ordered church. That's the first thing. But the second thing is it's an exercised church. In verse 2, we, write, we read this. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And why are they doing that? This is actually the first time in the book of Acts that fasting is mentioned. In fact, it's only mentioned here, verse 2 and verse 3, and later on in chapter 14, when Barnabas returned back through where they have been in their recent tour, visiting the local churches that have sprung up through their ministry, and they, with prayer and fasting, appoint elders for those churches. Those are the only two places that fasting is mentioned in the book of Acts. What's going on? Why are they fasting? Why are they worshipping the Lord and fasting together here in Antioch? 
Well, clearly this was a momentous occasion. But why? What was so special? What were they exercised about? Why did they feel it was necessary to go without food so that they could concentrate on worship and on prayer? Something was, something that was, was, cons was concerning them. They were exercised about something. Something was on their minds. And they knew that they needed to spend special time in seeking God's face. Well, we're not told exactly, but I think we can surmise it, we can deduce it from the passages that we've read already in the book of Acts. The church has been in existence now for probably a decade. It's grown significantly. But at least one of those leaders was uneasy. Why? Years before, Saul had had a momentous encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, on the road to Damascus. And you remember, God spoke to him through Ananias, and God said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. Saul then had had a commission by God to be his chosen instrument to proclaim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. Up to this time, Saul has basically focused here his ministry on the people there in Antioch. And that has been good, and that has been wonderful, and he has been used greatly, as has Barnabas, Barnabas to bring people to the Lord and to build them up. But surely it must have been on his heart all this time. How is going to use, God going to use me to reach out to the unreached? Isn't there more for him to do? In a passage that we read this morning in the, uh, towards the end of his letter to the Romans, he says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So it was inconceivable then that Saul had not been sharing this concern of his heart with his fellow leaders and indeed with the whole church there in Antioch. So I think we can deduce there that these people are worshipping the Lord and fasting because they knew that Saul had this burden on his heart and this commission from the Lord Jesus and yet nothing as yet was happening in order to reach the unreached in places where the gospel hadn't yet gone. So they've gathered together, and there they are, worshipping the Lord and fasting. They were sharing Saul's burden. Saul, or Paul, writes later to the Galatian church about sharing burdens. He says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. Now, we all have burdens, don't we? Elderly parents, wayward children, work issues, financial issues, health problems. Being part of a church together means bearing one another's burdens. And if you have a burden that you feel like you're carrying all by yourself, please share it with others. We're here to share your burdens. We're all, we all want to do that, don't we? And it's in sharing each other's burdens that we fulfill the law of Christ. The hymn says, We share our mutual woes, 
our mutual burdens bear, and often for each other flows the sympathizing tear. That's what the local church should be like, isn't it? And that's what the Antioch church was like. They were sharing Saul's burden that was on his heart. He was exercised then about how the gospel was going to go to the people in faraway places who hadn't yet heard. Sometimes these burdens are concerns the Lord has laid on our hearts like that for people outside of our circle of family and friends. And for Saul, it was this burden of reaching the unreached. And God speaks. Isn't that wonderful? And you find this wherever you, wherever you look through the Bible, at critical moments in the story of the Bible, God speaks. You remember how God speaks to Moses when the people are languishing in slavery in Egypt. God speaks to Moses at the burning bush. He says, I am who I am. And he tells him what he's going to do for the people of Israel. And the people are brought out of Egypt with, a great, with the great power, the outstretched arm of God. And they're brought to the mountain of God, to Mount Sinai. And God speaks again to the people of Israel. He makes a covenant with them. Uh, and, and they're going to be his people. And he is going to be their God. God speaks to them. And later on, when they're in the land of Canaan, they're in the promised land, God speaks again. You remember how David then was wanting to build a temple, a house for the Lord. And how then, when, when he expressed that, and his desire was right, God spoke to him and said, No, it's not for you to build a house for me, but I will build a house for you. Because God was going to use David to establish a dynasty. And out of that dynasty, after many years, would come the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God speaks again through the prophets and through John the Baptist as he comes uh, to pave the way for the Son of God. And he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God speaks again when Jesus has come onto this world and God speaks through the Lord Jesus Christ as well and God speaks then through the apostles on the day of Pentecost at that critical moment when the Holy Spirit comes down on the church and empowers them for ministry and witness to the whole earth and God speaks here to this church and he says set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called him. We're not told exactly how the Holy Spirit spoke here. Probably it would have been through one of these prophets. But the whole church listens. And so they act. Now we need to be careful how we apply God's word. How do we apply the book of Acts? The book of Acts then is not a a series of cameo sketches that we can apply as if, they, uh, uh, as if they tell us exactly what we should do, like blueprints that we can live our life by. And some people then would take this story and say, well, this is a case of somebody receiving a call in order to be a missionary. And therefore, anybody who becomes a missionary, anybody who wants to share their faith 
and go across boundaries, political boundaries, cultural boundaries, religious boundaries, social boundaries, economic boundaries. Anybody who crosses those boundaries who becomes a missionary needs to have a call from God, just like Barnabas and Saul did. But I don't think we can take from this passage that that should be the, the, uh, the blueprint for anybody who wants to and, and that the church wants to send involved, to be involved in this kind of ministry. I don't think that's what this story is here for. God communicates with his people in the book of Acts in various ways. You remember how Philip is visited by an angel. Uh, and, and then how the risen Lord Jesus ap appears to Saul. We've seen that already. And in, chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 10, an angel appears to Cornelius. Uh, and then in Acts chapter 12, Peter gets visited by an angel in prison. Extraordinary words from God through angels or through visions from the Lord. But is that happening all the time? Is that just their general experience? We're not told that. But what we are told is that at certain times and in certain situations, God speaks in a special way to his people. And that's what's happening here in Acts chapter 13. So the book of Acts then is an account of how the Holy Spirit fulfills the words of Jesus that were spoken right at the beginning when he said, you will be my witnesses. That is the story. And the entire story is an extraordinary story. It's not a blueprint for how Bridge End churches should run their outreach. But what, what, can, what we can say is this. Something very special is happening here. And God is speaking to the people in response to their desire to know God's will. Now, what is on your heart? How are you being exercised? How is God speaking to you? What has God has put on your heart and given you a burden for? Have you shared it with brothers and sisters in the church? We have uh, a series of, series of events that we're preparing for and praying for coming up, a passion for life. And that's something we should be sharing with each other. Are there people then in your family, people, uh, neighbours, workmates, schoolmates that we can, we can pray for that you will be able to share Christ with them and invite them along to some event that we run. That's sharing a burden that the Lord gives us. So these people here in Antioch, this Antioch church, is an ordered church and it's an exercised church. But thirdly, they were an obedient church. God speaks to the church and they act, they obey in verse 3. They have what seems to be another period of prayer and fasting. And then they place their hands on Barnabas and Saul and send them off. They place their hands on them. That's a, an indication of their solidarity with them. You are going with our blessing. We are going to support you. We are going to send you. And we are going to help you on your way. And that becomes then a pattern for how a local church is to go about sending. People are not merely meant to go uh, to reach out to other people and to go to unreached groups under their own steam. Some people then would like to choose to, an agency to join, and there's nothing wrong with agencies, mission agencies. But an agency is not an alternative to the local church. 
People are meant to be sent out by their church and supported by their church, whether they're with an agency or not. And also we can learn here that teamwork is the norm. Saul and Barnabas don't go off in different directions by themselves. They go together and they take John Mark with them. Now, not everybody in this missionary team, if you want to call it that, in this apostolic evangelistic team, is somebody with a particular recognized public gift. Clearly, John Mark doesn't seem to have that, which is why they send off the two of them, and John Mark joins them as they go. But nevertheless, even though John Mark may not have public gifts, he is also sent to be with them. He joins them. Uh, and, and so he can learn on the job with them as well. Now, it has been argued in recently, recently in, a, in an article written by a leader in the States that anybody who's involved in mission work should be uh, an elder of a church or at least should be the kind of person that you would want as an elder uh, and should have three years of seminary. Now, I would challenge that sort of uh, idea on a number of levels, but uh, at the very least to expect anybody who's involved in this work to be an elder at least makes it problematic that Paul had on his team people like Priscilla, because clearly Priscilla being a woman couldn't be an elder, so I don't really know why he was making a big thing about that. But um, here they were being sent out by the church. And the Lord has been laying on the hearts of churches ever since this time the needs of those who are yet to hear the gospel. And so in post-apostolic times, after the Bible is finished, we read of people going out also to other places in the Dark Ages, Ulfilas and Boniface, going to the forests of northern Europe uh, and reaching the tribes, the Goths and others there. Patrick going from here to Ireland, and then in more modern times, William Carey and so many others. And not just men, Amy Carmichael, Mary Slessor. If these names don't mean anything to you, find out who they are, because these are uh, heroes of the faith in past generations. Now, each generation, then, has people that the Lord lays on their hearts to be involved in this great work of going out to people who have your have yet to hear the gospel to share with them uh, that they might hear the gospel too. And so let's pray ourselves as a church that there may be perhaps people among us who we can send out to do this vital work and who will see uh, people coming to the Lord in places that as yet are unreached. 2,000 years have gone by and still there are many people around the world who haven't heard the gospel. It is estimated, well, research has showed, I'm not sure how hard and fast the, the, the research is, that 85% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists in the world don't even know personally a single person who would identify themselves as a Christian. So that means three billion people around the world don't know a Christian, don't know somebody who identifies as a Christian, so that they can go and ask, what is the gospel? many more than at the time of Saul and Barnabas the need is still there we have the people around us here even in Bridge End 
but people will not, not all people will be reached by the Lord's people simply witnessing and going about their, their lives as they do so. There is a need, as, these, as this church in Antioch recognized, for organized and focused sending of gifted and people that the Lord has called and is sending out to go to the unreached. And it's not just young people. It could be anybody. Does the Lord want you? It's not just for individuals either, but it's for churches to discern and to send out. Let's pray that we would be that sort of church too. Amen.